hello, good evening to you and welcome to another uh, sports episode of the Locker Room here on Indie Live Radio. Um, we're at number one for sport, we're here every Friday night. Uh, going to get if you want to make a comment or whatever, you can email us at uh, lockerroomindielive at gmail.com. Uh, that's lockerroomindielive at, uh, locker at com. How's it going, Matthew? Yeah, I'm okay. I'm a bit startled because David Seaman's face has just turned up on my television oh, and right. startled me a little bit. Um, but yeah, I'm not bad. How's yourself? <laughs> Yeah, in the bag, it's been a busy week for uh, sport and all that. Um, it seems to be like a, a kind of like soap opera every time we do the show. Not not me and me and you are on a soap opera, but well, it feels like that sometimes. <laughs> We'd be uh, a rubbishy stenders. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Ricky? Yeah, sorry. Um, <laughs> That's just you admitted to the world that you watch EastEnders. <laughs> From 1992. <laughs> uh, okay, so it's been a busy day for sport. So let's just dive right in at the deep end. No, we're not talking about swimming this week. We're talking about football. And uh, Rangers uh, got a good victory last night, Matthew, in the, the, uh, the Europa Cup. And they were in the glow for the last 16 today. Yeah, I mean, well, first of all, I suppose talking about last night, I mean, um, Rangers games have just become a bit strange, actually. I mean, from what we know, Rangers in Scottish football, and to be honest, European football up to this point, we've known them as quite strong defensively, hard to beat, tough to beat. Uh, they'll take, they'll have a few chances, they'll take them, they might win the odd game 1-0, now, 2-0, now. not a lot in it. Um, and to be honest, they've cut, they came up against the team in Royal Antwerp that I thought would be quite similar. And I said this last week, I kind of thought this game would be close. I thought Rangers would have too much uh, for them over the tie. But I thought it would be a close thing, you know, 1-0, 2-1, something like that. A very close tie that Rangers would squeak through. And how pleasantly wrong have I been that these two ties have actually been um, a joyous release um, from watching the their side domestically in, in the sense that it was goals galore um, it reminded me that these two games reminded me of watching the old Kevin Keegan Newcastle United side in the 1994-95-96 sort of years when you had people like Aspria and Andy Cole on their side um, because the final the final aggregate score over the both ties were was what 9-5 to Rangers overall Yeah. yeah. Um, and you know hands up if you saw that coming because I certainly didn't uh, I thought the I thought Rangers from start to finish were quite a good uh, side, really. Um, I thought the young kid Nathan Patterson, even though he's had these troubles this year um, in regards to COVID and stuff like that, his goal within 17 seconds of coming off the bench uh, to restore Rangers' lead on the night was just something a joy to behold. Uh, Kent's goal was good. Um, Morelos even got in the act. He scored first after nine minutes, which basically settled any sort of nerves that Rangers would have had. Um, and then obviously you had the incident that he had when one of the Antwerp players were injured and Morelos, fair play to him, stopped play um, to make sure the guy was okay. Um, 
and he ultimately was my man of the match. I thought he was absolutely superb. And, you know, if, if he was to leave Rangers this year, even though at the start he, he wasn't having a decent season, um, I think his transfer value on the basis of these last few games, especially last night, has went up to the sorts of levels that you might have thought um, he would have been worth from last season. So, you know, Rangers, I think, have, have proved themselves not only can they do this in the league, and be solid and win games convincingly. They're proving it in in Europe that they now can do it against one of the one of the well one of the top sides that they could have drawn in this round anyway uh, in Royal Antwerp. And you know, I think it's I think it, they were good value for their win. Um, they were definitely good value last night for their win. And they're up again now. They know their draw. They're playing Slavia Prague in the next round. I think that tie. On the basis of what I've seen, even though Slavia Prague, I mean, they'll be no easy shakes because um, Slavia Prague had the shock result themselves last night. They went to Leicester City and Leicester City dominated the first leg against Slavia Prague. Um, they went away to Leicester last night and got a shock 2-0 victory. So there'll be no walkovers. But Rangers, you know, on the basis of what I've seen, have a very good chance against Slavia Prague to go through. Um, and given some of the other ties, you know, that have come out the hat, like um, Dynamo Zagreb, Tottenham, Manchester United, AC Milan, um, given some of those ties, some of the big guns will be out and Rangers have a very good chance of progressing, not only through this next round against Slavia Prague, but onwards, if the draw is kind to them. And um, I, <clears throat> I think the first game's in two weeks, is that right? Yeah, and you know what? It's it's one of those things. It's a good draw for Rangers, but it's a very good draw um, for Scottish football. You know, I think, you know, progression-wise, when you think about Rangers, you know, Rangers have accumulated over £4.5 million in European prize money already. I know it's not about the money, but if you think about how Rangers have been struggling over the past decade financially, um, you know, they've managed to get some more million, millions in the bank after last night. Um, they'll, they'll get another £950,000 for coming for reaching the last 16 uh, last night. So financially, um, they'll be doing a lot better and they'll be able to compete financially with Celtic now because um, even though Rangers on the pitch are obviously dominating financially, Celtic still have their plans, but... You know, Rangers have managed to get another nine hundred and fifty thousand in the bank. They might go further, um, and Rangers do need the money. You know, they need fresh investment. They need around. I've heard figures quoting of around twenty three point two million by the end of next season um, to become to keep staying back um, to to maintain their sort of where they are at the moment. So they need fresh investment. The UEFA money's helping. Um, and that can only sit well for them and help them maintain their team. But also from a Scottish point of view, coefficient-wise, Rangers win uh, last night means Scotland still sit 11th in UEFA's rankings, which would mean that that would result in a direct place into the 2022-2023 Champions League group stage for next season's uh, Premiership winners. So, you know, if Rangers can keep this up, because unfortunately for Scotland, they're currently the only team that's progressing in Europe, if they can keep this up if they can head into maybe even, you know, get further in the tournament, and they've basically got a straight, straight shootout between Scotland and Ukraine for the Champions League group stage uh, position next next season um, if they can keep that up then, you know, like I said, not only will Rangers benefit on the pitch and financially but Scotland will benefit with next year's Premiership winners going straight through to the Champions League um 22-23 season so um, all round it was a good night for Scottish football as a whole and especially obviously a good night for Rangers and obviously we'll come back to maybe touch upon Rangers 
uh, they're on because they're not playing this weekend. They're playing Livingston on uh, Wednesday night and because Livingston's in the cup final. We'll, we'll come back to speak about the cup final in a wee minute. But the other bit of news this week is uh, Neil Lennon um, either he either resigned or got sacked if if rumours are to be true. Um, but I think he resigned um, from, from the post. I think it was Wednesday uh, after that shocking defeat to Ross County. And I mean, not not to spend too much time on that game, but I thought Celtic played quite well last week against uh, County. Um, I mean, they're not. Let's be honest; it wasn't their worst performance. But then their worst has been really bad this season. Mm. Um, I mean, I think this has obviously been coming a long time, and we we've discussed this uh, at length on these shows basically since we started them about Neil Lennon, about his position, um, whether it was tenable or not, given the coaching staff set up, uh, whether it was um, whether it was tenable because other people were seen to be choosing uh, the players that he was bringing in. Then whether it was tenable because the players obviously wanted to either one not be at Celtic Park and therefore were not performing, or were just not performing for Neil Lennon. So this has been going a long time. I think the frustrating part about this whole saga is that Neil Lennon should have left months and months ago mm. uh, when Celtic still had a chance of of catching Rangers. Um, I think there was an opportunity. I think against, you know, even back via Ferrick Barros, we were watching that and we were concerned about the performance. We were concerned about the performances up to that point. And we were concerned about what Neil Lennon said afterwards about players not wanting to be there. Um, a large chunk of that team not wanting to be there. Um, and we speculated as to why that was. Then the performances continued after that to not be at the level that Celtic wanted. And then it ultimately led to Celtic losing to Rangers um, at Celtic Park in October. And it just continued from there um, in that vein. So when Celtic had the chance to stop Rangers, they should have made that change there. I think the Green Brigade um, and fans like that started to protest after games. The concerning thing with that is I think the, the fans were right to protest in the sense that Neil Lennon had to go. I think the club showed themselves up for what they are really in the, fa in the fact that their ego was clearly bruised by the fact that the fans dared to question their choice as manager and therefore kept Lennon in charge for longer than, than they should have, which basically has led to Celtic giving up 10 in a row, not costing them 10 in a row because Rangers have played really well this year, but it cost Celtic a chance of competing for 10 in a row at the very least. And that's a concerning thing from the board point of view. Um, and how, why they sat, if why, I mean, if, if rumors like you said are to be believed, he's probably not resigned, he's probably been at the very least pushed out of the door with a with a pay package to reflect mm. that. <laughs> I think the thing is, why do it now? Because the season's gone, you may as well just keep that um coaching staff in place until the end of the season and then make changes. Why change it now? You could have at least announced that maybe Lennon is not going to stay, you could maybe. I've announced that someone else will take over when uh, Dominic Mackay comes in. You could have done that, but instead they've just sacked him now um, for what seems to be no apparent reason other than they want to be seen to be doing something before the season ticket renewals come out um, in probably a few weeks' time. And that's the only reason they've done this. Um, so I'm very sceptical of the decision this week. 
but like I said, even though I did want Neil Lennon to go, and we've said that on the show, we've wanted him to go for a long time, it's nothing personal with the guy. Um, if you think back of his playing career, he was one of the best Celtic midfielders, defensive midfielders Celtic have ever had. He was very, very successful in doing what he did. Um, as a manager, you know, Neil Lennon also did exactly what he said. You know, if you remember back to his, his first um, period in, t- in charge, he came in when Tony Mowbray was at, was at the bottom of the barrel Celtic-wise and Celtic were struggling. And Lennon came in, he brought back the noise uh, when Celtic had been going not only quiet, but the fans were leaving in their droves. Lennon brought back the passion, he brought back the noise. Uh, you know, there has been unfair revisionism, I think, about his reign, from, especially from the first time in charge. Um, he should be given credit, you know, for the titles he won, especially the first time around when Rangers were still there for the first title. Um, he's won titles, he signed players that have went on to become world superstars. Uh, they had games in Europe where Celtic can finally was able to compete, like Barcelona at home. Um where they competed not just um, you know in terms of performance, but the performance resulted in an atmosphere that was extraordinary around Celtic Park, and he created that. So he created noise, drama, success. He he really summed up, I think, in the first time around what Celtic was all about, um, and I think that was why maybe that was why I wasn't keen on him coming back the second time because you just you should never really maybe go back as to where the heights to where Celtic, he got Celtic the first time around. Um, but also you have to remember, Neil Lennon's not just about football, you know, it's about sectarianism, unfortunately, as well. You know, the Lennon years in particular, like the first time around, uh, saw a poison that we hadn't seen in football for a long, long time. He probably was the most persecuted character that Scottish football maybe have ever had in regards to sectarianism and bigotry. He had bullets sent to him in the post. He was attacked on the touchline. Um, assaults in the street, you know, graffiti on the wall, all these sorts of things um, he had to put up with the first time around. And he he spearheaded the fact that he was a he was a Celtic hero, really, the first time around. Um, but towards the end of his career there, the first time around, he was getting found out. Maybe Celtic weren't performing as well as they should have done. And it was a good time for him to go the first time around. Um and especially given what happened after that with Brendan Rodgers coming in and all that kind of stuff, I don't think Lennon was the right appointment the second time round. And even though we shouldn't forget everything that he did the first time around, I think, and he'll always be a hero for that, I just think he was ultimately always the wrong appointment um, the second time around. And even though, you know, like I said, he's a Celtic colossus, um, and he, it's a shame that it's ended like this, I think ultimately it's the right decision, but the way it's been handled and the way it's been finally enacted out has just been ca- catastrophically wrong do you think that um maybe at the maybe not the now but maybe in a few years time uh the Celtic fans would look back and say Neil Lennon done well for for Celtic apart from obviously this season because I mean if you look at the cups that he won as a player but also as a manager as well. And don't forget that he won the, the quadruple uh, treble as well. Yeah, I mean, I think people will forget this. I mean, ultimately, I think this is obviously a bigger season than most because 10 in a row was at stake. And not only have Celtic lost 10 in a row, they've catastrophically lost 10 in a row. It's, it's been a complete and utter mess from start to finish. And I think that's ultimately what he'll be remembered by in the short term. Um 
But, you know, kind of like Brendan Rodgers' situation, as time goes on and the pain sort of leaves Celtic fans, I think then Celtic will be in a position to look back on his career. And ultimately, yeah, like you said, and like what I was saying a second ago, you know, his playing career was very, very successful. In fact, his playing career was... um, yeah, I, I think I think this is when I disagree with you a wee bit, Matthew, because Brendan Rodgers was a brilliant manager for Celtic, but he kept saying that he was a Celtic man, but clearly he wasn't actually because he walked out in the team. But compared to Neil Lennon, he is a, a real Celtic man, and I think he was holding on because he wanted the team to turn around and start performing and winning. And, uh, okay, they got a wee, a wee run together, what was it, five games back-to-back. And then it just fell away up at Ross County. So I think that's the only difference, I would say, about, about um, Neil Lennon comparing them to Brendan Rodgers. But I don't know if that, I don't know if you would agree, but that, that's my opinion. Yeah, I mean, like I said before, you know, uh, opinions are like bums, we all have them. Um, and I think it doesn't, most opinions are, are right one way or the other. Um, I mean, like I said, I mean, Leo Lennon obviously was a lot more successful, I think, than Brendan Rodgers over the whole because, you know, he was a, he was a successful player. He was, I mean, I, I think I was going to say ultimately he was more successful as a player than he was in a manager, as a manager. And that shows you how well he done as a player. The first time around as a manager, I thought he, he came in at the right time when Celtic needed him. Celtic needed an uplift. Celtic needed the thunder back. Not only did he create that sort of atmosphere and, you know, um, dig in atmosphere, he created a team that was similar. He found players that we never thought he'd find. They went on to become world superstars. Um, he did very well the first time around. Brendan Rodgers, um, what, I mean, you're right about the Celtic man comparison. Um, I don't think anyone's as much of a Celtic man as Neil Lennon. Um and Brendan Rodgers certainly ultimately turned out not to be as a big a Celtic man as Neil Lennon. But from mm. a professional point of view, Brendan Rodgers, even though he left under a bitter cloud, um, I think most Celtic fans can look back now and say, well, he brought a professionalism that Celtic have never had before. Mm-hmm. He brought in a training regime that we never had before. Um, or see, we've seen at Celtic Park before. So I think that was why Neil Lennon was the wrong choice at the time because Brendan Rodgers had brought it on to a new level, he brought it on to a premiership level Celtic were near enough a premiership level team under Brendan Rodgers and then Neil Lennon sort of, I don't want to say he brought it back but he brought it back to old school Celtic values but Celtic had moved on by then Um, and to answer your question, yeah like Brendan Rodgers, maybe not for yourself but for Brendan Rodgers I think some Celtic fans are looking back now not so angry about what happened and thought well I saw what Brendan Rodgers have done. I saw what Celtic could become. Um, yeah, and, yeah. I suppose you, you can look at it from that point of view as well, yeah. Yeah, and I think that's what Neil Lennon will be to answer. To, to, if that was a long-winded way to get to the answer to your question, um, to answer the question, Neil Lennon will be similar. I think even though we're all quite bitter and angry at the moment about how Neil Lennon's been treated and Celtic fans are a bit angry about 10 in a row being lost and all this kind of stuff... I think ultimately Neil Lennon in a few years' time will will be looked upon as a Celtic player legend and ultimately a Celtic manager legend for what he did the first time around. And like you said, you know, second time he was the wrong appointment because Celtic had moved on. But like you said, he had done well. And I think I saw a record, um, his one percentage record actually was better this time around than it was last time, mm. strangely enough. <laughs> um yeah. 
and even and I think that was because he did so well last season. This season's been a disaster, but the, the the season when he came in, the first full season he was in there last year, Neil Lennon did have a very successful season. Um, it was just a shame. I think COVID put a spanner on the works, and ever since COVID came along, the whole thing just kind of went you know belly up a little bit for him. Sadly, he will be remembered as as a great ultimately. Um, but you know, you have to remember. I think in Neil Lennon's defence, you know, for this season, I think you have to remember. You know, there has been some mitigating circumstances. You know, you you think about Kennedy, who's obviously now in charge. Mm. Uh, there was rumours that Neil Lennon didn't want him. He wanted Tommy Johnson Tommy in. Johnson, yeah. um, you, the recruitment, you know, Nick Hammond was in there. You know, Nick Hammond was given a stronger position than Neil Lennon was. Nick Hammond chose the players that Neil Lennon had to play with. Um, things like that, Neil Lennon didn't have a control with. And the one thing I would say about him is, considering that he's such a strong character, I'm not sure if I, even if Neil Lennon should have taken that job if Celtic were basically saying, we'll appoint your coaching staff, we'll appoint the man who's going to bring in the players for you. Um, mm. You deal with what we bring in. That's not a way to run a club. And also, you mentioned about John Kennedy. Now, he's been made into the boss to the end of the season. And also, there's rumours, well... Obviously, that has been um, Stephen McManus is the first team coach, but no um, no coaching role for Scott Brown for what I thought was quite surprising because there were rumours going about the other night that Scott Brown would be uh, working under John Kennedy. So what, what do you make of that, uh, Matthew? Um, we, we, should, we should say that until the end of the season. Yeah, I mean, well, Celtic have done really what they, they could have only done. They don't have anybody lined up. Nobody's going to really come in at this point. Mm. Um, obviously, some of the candidates that we might go on to talk about in a second, uh, some of the candidates are still in work or they're still um, got the UEFA, Europa, European Championships to come up actually in the summer. Mm. So this was the only option Celtic have got. But, you know, the big thing for Celtic coming up is season tickets will be on sale soon. Um and the worry for Celtic, I think, strangely enough, is, is going to be um, if Celtic go on a run and John Kennedy gets a job, ultimately I don't think that that will be enough to sell season tickets. And therefore, I think the board know this, so therefore I think Kennedy's in there, he'll do a job. But, you know, they have been part of the coaching team that have so spectacularly failed up to now. Um, and surely the clock now is just ticking on, on Neil Lennon's ultimately reign coming to an end, including his coaching team. And you would hope for season ticket sales, especially with the COVID situation and not knowing when Celtic are going to get fans back into the stadium and stuff like that. Um, you would hope that Celtic will come out and explain to fans that, um, you know, this is just a stopgap to the end of the season. And Celtic do have a plan to bring in a coaching team that, you know, short term can initially compete with Gerrard at Rangers. But like I've always said, Celtic are a world team. You're a European team. This appointment needs to um, have a sort of ability for Celtic to not only beat Rangers and finish top of the SPL, but it needs to be able to move on and compete in Europe. And I think that's why John Kennedy isn't the man full stop. Mm -hmm. um, and I think we'll move on now maybe to appointments. You know, there's some really interesting um, people who have been linked to this job that could bring Celtic to that level. And I would hope Celtic will go down that path and show that they are a club that are going to compete at European level, not just domestically. Yeah. 
Um, so we um, obviously the rumours are going to continue for the next couple of weeks because I don't know if the, you know, um, the as you say that the manager won't be appointed until next season now as well, and also when the uh, Dominic Mackay is coming in uh, as well as the new chairperson, uh, chairperson, so the chairman of um, Celtic Football Club and. Um, We'll come back to speak about rugby in a few minutes with um, hence, hence the link to uh, Dominic McKayla's speaking about rugby. Um, so, so let let's uh, let's speak about this weekend's games now, Matthew. Um, a game. Well, two on, second, just two seconds. Yeah. Uh, who do you want? Uh, it's an interesting question because I'm just curious. Who do you think would be? The best options for Celtic at the moment, if you were if you were to choose, maybe one or two people that you think they have got Celtic class. Who do you think would be your first option or second option? Well, um, I, I'm not I'm not actually sure that this rumour's going about. I'm should say John Kennedy still the bookie's favourite at the moment to, to get the job, but I don't. <laughs> don't, think, Michael. No, no. You know, <laughs> um, yeah, I mean. If I was, well, I, I, I know we, we don't like going back the way sometimes, but I would get a point, Gorgon Strachan, uh, take to the end of the season, but obviously that's not going to happen. And I would, I would love him uh, to come back uh, to Circuit because he was a brilliant manager uh, for the for the club. But I, I'm not I'm not sure. Uh, Rafa Benitez, um, uh-huh. you yeah. know, n- n- named it that. Um, it's kind of like going about. Um, I mean, someone someone asked me. I mean, that was the reason somebody asked me during the week, and mm. it just got me thinking about. And Rafa Benitez actually was one of the ones that I was thinking of. I mean, I I think he was probably one of my favourites for the job until it looked like I know Newcastle United are, are getting taken over, and I think he's the favourite to maybe go back to Newcastle once the takeover happens. Mm-hmm. But he was one of the people I was thinking of. But um, I had I had a few favourites that I was thinking about. Um, and maybe one of them is a bit out there, but uh, Roberto Martinez and, um, and yeah. yeah, see, I, I think after, and this is why I think they've had to go short term and, and why nothing will happen maybe till after, you know, the Euros in the summer, because obviously Martinez and uh, Maloney, they've done a good job with Belgium and Belgium are one of the top teams, if not one of the favourites for the Euros in the summer. So you mm. think, could, you know, Maloney will definitely be tempted. Yeah, could you tempt yeah. Martinez uh, back to a club job? Maybe not, um, yeah. Another, another one, Steve Clark. Um, mm. You know, he's obviously done well with Scotland. The Euro, could, yeah. Yeah, could he be tempted back in? Um, another one I was thinking of that was a bit out there, obviously Henri. Um he was linked with the Bournemouth job recently. Could Thierry Henry that's be one of the people? To... <laughs> that's a bit the field. Yeah, I like you. I like that. And I suppose it's about selling season tickets now. If you get him, they would definitely sell lots of season tickets. Oh, definitely. Or you could have. There was another one that was not so well known, but Jesse Marsh. Um, yeah, he's an American. Yeah, yeah. I saw that yesterday. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he's done a done a really good job at uh, Red Bull Salzburg. Um, in his first season, you know, they've won the double. Um, in Austria, and you think could he be the man to come in? I mean, he wouldn't be so much box office, but he could be the man that could maybe come in and work with the director of football, and get the job done. So, mm. you know. I mean, this summer probably will be one of the biggest uh, 
you know, biggest summer Celtic have had in recent years, probably definitely in the last 10 years, you know, with the goalkeeper position, the defence, Scott Brown maybe retiring, Edward going, um, and you're left with quite a skeleton squad. You know, Marsh could be a guy who could go in and turn that around. Um, but yeah, Thierry Henry could be box office. But mm. I still like, if you could if you could pull Martinez and Maloney, um, I think that would be the dream. Yeah, that, that would be a, a, some double act as well. And Sean Maloney was a good player for us for Celtic back in the day and as well. Um, okay. Sorry, so, I got in the way yeah. of Victor, sorry. <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. Um, okay, so we'll move on now to speak about this weekend's games. Obviously, there's a game tonight uh, up at Inverness, Inverness against Hearts. And also, there's games tomorrow. Um, Celtic against Aberdeen, uh, Hibs against Motherwell, uh, Kamal against Dundee United, and St. Mervyn against Ross County, believe it or not. And also, the game on Sunday is the Big Cup final. Uh, but again, it's been overshadowed this week. Um, as Livingston against Johnson, Matthew. Yeah, well, I mean, I'll go quickly back to uh, the Hearts situation because Hearts mm. and tonight. You know, I, I I just want to say sort of a heartfelt, um, you know, hope you're okay to John Robertson, who obviously has been taken out of the firing line at the moment from Inverness, Cali Thistle, uh, because of a family bereavement. Um, so, you know, it's, in, it's quite interesting that Hearts are playing Inverness tonight and John Robertson won't be there. Um, because of a family bereavement, but um, we just want to say, you know, good luck to him during this time, um, and we hope he's okay to return eventually to to Inverness. Um, but that'll be quite a heartfelt game tonight up in Inverness. So, um, you know, all the prayers are going out to John Robertson and his family at this tough time. Yeah, well, well said, Matthew. Well said. Um, so yeah, that 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 can add up to a good game on paper, and it's two. Two teams that actually really been the, the big premiership, uh, but hopefully we'll get to see them again. Um, let's just speak about the Hibs Marlowe game tomorrow. That's an interesting game because Marlowe got a up and down this season, but they got a good one. Uh, saw a good point during the week against uh, St. Mervyn. Yeah, I mean, it was a it was a funny old game. The game during the week. I mean, not a, I mean, it was a solid performance. Not a lot happened, but you know, Mother will go to St. Mirren. St. Mirren, like I said last week, they're not on a great run of form. You know, they've drawn four of the last five. They've lost one of the last five. So they, they want, even though they're sixth in the league, um, and they're they're going okay. Um, Mother were obviously down at the bottom and struggling. So it was a good fighting point for Mother and it was good to come away from St. Mirren without losing. Um, and it just pushed them that little bit ahead again of the, the relegation zone, Motherwell. But they're still there or thereabouts. I think St. Johnson have maybe pushed themselves a bit too far. So the bottom four are fighting really for the two relegation spaces. I know one of them is a playoff, but really it'll be two of the last four, the bottom four, that will be fighting out really for, for those positions. And, you know, even though they went to St. Mirren and they got a decent result during the week, Again, going east the road is a tough, a tough, tough, tough ask. Um, Hibs have won four of the last five games. East the road, they're playing well. Um, like I said, since that little blip they had during the winter period, Hibs have came back really, really strong. They're scoring goals for fun. They've scored 41 goals this year. They've only conceded 26. They've got the third best uh, goal difference in the league. East the road is a very tough place to go. Um, and like I said, if you're Motherwell, 
you're thinking, oh goodness, but I'd rather not. If you're not going to Hib, um, Rangers or Celtic, Hibs is the place you don't want to go to at the moment. Um, and it'll be a tough ask, I think, to go away from Motherwell to Easter Road and get a result. But they've done it before. They've managed to go to tough places and get results. And they need to start getting results to push themselves off that relegation zone. But I think Hibs might have too much for them. I know my predictions haven't been great this year, but mm. I think Hibs are pushing on Hibs. Um, I'm not saying they have Celtic in their sights, um, but they have Celtic in their sights. They, they could, if they go on a run, they could technically still get second place. Um, and like I said last week, if you're going to fight for that second position, games against Motherwell at home are games that you have to win. And I think Hibs will have too much for them this weekend. Let, let's just jump on now, Matthew, to the cup final on Sunday. Um, as I said, it's been overshadowed. Uh, I don't know if it's because it's two lesser teams in, in Scottish football or just the big news about Rangers last night in Celtic um, with Mill down and uh, leave, leaving the club. But let, let's speak about the game quickly now on Sunday. Uh, Livingston against Johnson. I mean, it's one of those games, isn't it? I mean, I, I grew it, up in Livingston, um, so it, I... I it talk- can go either way the game as well. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've obviously got a soft spot for Livingston just because I grew up there and my parents are there. Um, but, you know, deep down, like you said, you'd be happy whoever wins it because St. Johnson are one of those sides too. Um, so it's very, I mean, you used it as a reason why it wasn't so so well publicised and I think that's right. But on the other hand, if you're a Scottish football fan, I think it's quite refreshing that you have two teams who you would not expect to be in this cup final. And it's also interesting because it's featuring two coaches who are in their first year of management. Mm-hmm. And in that first year of management, one of them is going to win a trophy in that first year. So it's it's a very, very interesting um, occasion on Sunday, Sunday at two o'clock. Uh, David Martindale's story is obviously brilliant. I mean, you don't like talking about it, but obviously uh, he's been given a chance at Livingston after his time in prison. And it's really good to see that not only has he managed to get to a cup final, but he has Livingston within the sights of Aberdeen. I mean, even in the league, he's within eight points, a fourth position, but he's got a game in hand. So eight, seven, six. I mean, I'm counting it's down to five points if they get that win. So in the league, they're in touching distance of fourth place. They're in touching distance of winning a cup final in his first season in charge. It's a it's a fairy tale story for Livingston. It's a fairy tale story for David Martindale. Um, it's just amazing, really. But another hand, you can't forget about Callum Davidson. You know, he's a young coach. Um, he's followed in the footsteps of a manager who really achieved amazing success at St. Johnson, and everybody thought that maybe uh, Tommy Wright couldn't couldn't be replicated but Callum Davidson has stepped into that those shoes and replicated everything Tommy Wright's done and he also now is in touching distance of you know a first trophy in charge another trophy for St Johnson and he's not far off the top six in the league so it's been a very successful uh, season for St Johnson as well like you said I think whoever whoever wins on on Sunday It'll be it'll be a happy occasion, I think, and most fans will, will be happy no matter who wins. And I mean, I, I suppose I was going to say Livingston fans cut turn off now. What I'm going to say, but if Livingston doesn't win it on Sunday, um, they sh- they should still be happy with their team and with the manager as well. Yeah, I mean, well, I mean, it's one. I think the same thing can be said to St. Johnson. Um, I think no matter if if whoever loses it on the flip hand side, um, 
fans will be happy that they've got to the National Cup final. It's just a shame that obviously no fans can mm. attend these yeah. games. But um, I think like most times uh, when teams get to cup finals, sometimes your form can suffer. And I think St. Johnson were on a little bit of a run before the cup final. Livingston were on an outstanding run before they got through to the cup final. Since they got there, the forms dipped off a little bit as, as happens when maybe smaller teams get to cup finals and that's to be expected. Um, but yeah, most uh, both of these sides fans can be happy with the success they've had this year. Um, and I think I even saw Living, um, Edinburgh Airport have um, put the tower there yellow and dedication to Livingston getting to cup final. So fair play, play to Edinburgh Airport. Um, and Livingston, would, no, um, what I was going to say quickly, Matthew, was would, would you say it's just a bit disappointing how it's on pay per view? Yeah, I mean, that's another thing that the nation won't get to see it unless they pay for it uh, on Premier Sports. Um, but, you know, I suppose we make the most of it. You know, St. Johnson have been pushing above their weight for years. This is a successful time. Livingston will be ready. St. Johnson will be ready. I think this, even though, unfortunately, like you say, fans won't get to see it because it's not on national or national broadcasters, those who have paid for it or will get to see it, I think we'll see a cracking game on Sunday. And may the best team win. Yeah, yeah. It should be a good <clears throat> should be a good game. Two good football teams as well. Uh, obviously, I know Celtic's gone through a bit of a bad time, but St. Johnson put up a good fight for them uh, a couple of weeks ago and uh, early on in the season. Um Celtic ha- Celtic won 2 0, but they had to wait for you know, Lee Griffiths and what was it, a Yeti could score the goals. And also they, they've actually gave well as well. Livingston's gave well. They've actually took um two points off herself get coming away this season. And I know you, you could argue say, well, most teams have done it this season, but I suppose <laughs> I suppose you've got to beat uh, who's in front of you. You know, that's all saying in football. So it should be a very interesting game, that one, on Sunday. I'm looking forward to it, especially because, I mean, I will, we'll move on to this, but I think because the rugby's cancelled, mm. um, it's got a free run, you know, so people yeah. can watch this game and there'll be nothing else in its way. So I think it'll, it'll get a good audience and one of these teams will make history by winning the League Cup. So, um, I mean, like I said, I hope it's Livingston just because uh, I went to school in Livingston. But, um, yeah, I think St. Johnson, fair place. One of the lesser sides will finally win a tournament and uh, it'll be good to see a team other than Celtic winning a domestic trophy. So what Matthew's saying is if Livingston wins, I'm happy. If St. Johnson wins, I'm okay, I'm happy. But so Matthew wants both teams to win. <laughs> work that one, work that one out. I can't. Um so yeah, um just sticking with Sunday, Matthew. Um there was news coming out this week on Wednesday, I think it was. Well last weekend, um the, the Sixth Nations game between Scotland and France, it was on, it was off, it was on, it was off. Um, and um, on Wednesday, they they were having a meeting and the outcome of that meeting was the game was on. But um, yesterday, when we were um, working so hard in the show, what we do every week, the game's off now. And um, rumours has it that, that the game could be, be um, could be played on the weekend of the 6th and 7th of March. Um, obviously, the 
Um, I think the coronavirus has spread like wildfire in the in the French camp this weekend. But um, yeah, I, I only thought the SFA make uh, decisions like it's on, it's off, it's on, it's off. But um, there you go. So it happens in rugby as well. <laughs> you're you're making it sound like the cry kid. Wax on, wax off. Um, yeah, I mean, do you know what? I mean, this was coming, I think. I mean, like you said, I think this decision could have been made well before it actually was because, you know, when when I, um, France played Ireland and Dublin last weekend or the weekend before that, sorry, it came out then that Scotland, that Ireland, or sorry, that France had started to pick up COVID, positive COVID tests. And as soon as that started, I think it started with the coaching staff, Um I think once the coaching staff were tested positive, I think we all knew the way this was going to go ultimately. Um, and to be honest, like you said, even though it's been a roller coaster, I don't think any of us are shocked that the game has been eventually called off. Uh, there was, you know, the coaching staff have t- tested positive. Uh, we had the captain testing positive. We had the scrum half. Um, we had a few other players testing positive. So quite a few players have it. And therefore, you know, there was no other way around it other than the game getting postponed. But, you know, and I think that was the right decision eventually when they got to the end of that. I think it was the right decision. But the interesting part comes after that. So once they decided the game was off, what do you do now? So initially, you know, there was talks of having it next weekend. Um, but Scotland obviously were, one, not happy about that because um, some of the Scottish players would have to return to their clubs because it's outside of the international window. So in, in theory, Celtic, uh, Scotland, I'm verbal slip there, Scotland could be without 10 of their, I was watching Sky Sports News, that's what I said Celtic. Um, Scotland could have been uh, could have been without 10 of their first team players. So even though Scotland weren't involved in the COVID situation, and it's not Scotland's fault at all, they could have been then playing France without 10 of their first team players next week. So that wasn't really a possibility. They are talking about March being a possibility now. I've seen June mentioned, I've seen July mentioned. Um, the question is when are they going to fit this in that doesn't affect Scotland because like I said it's not Scotland's fault Scotland shouldn't be adversely affected because of France having COVID positive COVID tests and I think if they are going to play this it has to be in a in a weekend or a weekday slot that means Scotland will not lose any of their first team uh, first players so that's the first thing it also couldn't be played next weekend though because now France are self-isolating so um, Mm. they can't play it next weekend Uh, and Scotland's got a game next weekend as well I think well, I mean, yeah, I mean, there's, there's, they won't have a team, so because most of them will be back in their club. So, I think now it's a matter of, you know, when you fit it in, that won't adversely affect Scotland because it's not Scotland's fault. But then you also have to think, well, if if there's a breach in protocol that's led to France having an outbreak of COVID, and a fixture can't be a fixture date can't be found um, that would wouldn't adversely affect Scotland. Do you just give Scotland the twenty-eight nil win, which has happened in the autumn tests, which has happened in club the club game in Europe, for example, it happened to Glasgow if you remember, uh, in the Champions Cup, it happened to Glasgow. So you th- if they can't find the date and there has been a breach in protocol in, fr- in the French squad, then I think it's only fair that Scotland are given the win, um, and it's something that you don't want to see. But I don't think Scotland should be affected in any way adversely because of. Um, a French outbreak of COVID. So if a date can't be found, then I think it's only right and fair that Scotland pick up the win here. 
Do you know what I think? They, I think they should not not that not that we are biased here on Andy Life Radio, but, but, <laughs> with a Scottish accent, yeah, <laughs> no bias here. <laughs> no, I'm just sitting with my kilt on doing the show. No, the thing is, like, um, if they play it in March or December or whatever, right? What is well, this not upset the whole tournament. Well, I, well. It will upset the tournament and it becomes a bit complicated if you've still got one game left to play that may well affect who wins the Six Nations. So in theory, we could complete the Six Nations in March, but we're waiting until July, August, whenever, um, to to finally work out who's going to win the tournament, um, which is which is scandalous, really. I think the the you know the Six Nations would like to be completed in March. But like I said, you know, the, the clubs would then have to be um, spoken to because the clubs, international sides can only take players from clubs inside international windows. If you're having a Scotland Scotland team that's going to be playing outside of that international uh, international window, like I said, Scot- the French team can easily go to the clubs in France and say, we're taking these players. But Scotland have players in France. Scotland have players in England. And the English Premiership and the French League will not allow, most likely not allow Scotland to take their best players out of that league to play an international game outside of that window. And that's why I think the, the result ultimately should go to Scotland if there has been a breach in protocol, because I just can't see it being fair that, you know, if there's a breach in protocol and France have had to postpone this game, why should Scotland then have to play a week or two or three weeks after that um, without their first 15 on the pitch? But also if it's June or July, why should Scotland have to play when one or two or three other players might be playing for the British and Irish Lions at that time against South Africa as well? So I don't think it's fair, and I think whatever conclusion that rugby comes up with, it should be beneficial to Scotland. Yeah, and uh, yeah. So again, <laughs> this story's got the rumble on as well uh, for for the next couple of weeks. But I think they made the right choice in cancelling it yesterday. Because could you imagine the scene? Scotland leaves Edinburgh to go to France, and then when they go to France, the game's off. Yeah, I mean, or the worst case scenario, you know, you could go to the French team and, you know, obviously they could be playing their B-side as such, but mm. you don't know how far this COVID has spread within the setup and the French squad. Yeah. So you don't want Scotland to go over there and ultimately get COVID and then bring it back to Edinburgh. And then the next game's off as well. Um, I think it's Ireland after this at Murrayfield and then Italy. So you don't want that to happen either. I think it is, like you said, it's the right decision. But as long as the outcome is that Scotland aren't affected by this in a negative way. I think that's what we're all worried about now within within Scottish rugby. Yeah, so, I mean, a, a bit disappointing because we were hoping to bounce back after the after the game two weeks ago at Murrayfield. Yeah, I mean, that that's the thing. It's, it's frustrating. It definitely is frustrating. I mean, this is the way it will happen in the COVID world. And, you know, I think we just have to get used to it. But um, it's a bit more complicated because it's international rugby um, as to how then you rearrange a postponed game. Because if it's a club game, fair enough. But even in the club game, you know, they were giving out 28-0 wins if clubs had COVID and couldn't compete because of the difficulties in rearranging fixtures. And I don't see the difference here because Six Nations are notoriously hard to... Uh, reorganise. Like I said, the clubs have a say then in what players can attend if it's outside of an international window. So that's why I'm quite surprised that if this was a club game, it would have been 28-0 to Scotland. 
because um, mm-hmm. it's international and France have a bit of power and the World Cup's going to France soon. Maybe that's why they're, they're humming and hawing about the decision. Um, but Scotland can't be playing games against France and Paris with 10 of their first 15 missing. Mm. Um, so the Scotland game was meant to be the only game on on Sunday, but that's cancelled. But uh, two games taking place tomorrow, Matthew, at the, again, at the against Ireland and Wales against England tomorrow. Well, Ireland haven't had the best of starts, so no. you'd imagine that uh, you'd imagine that they'll go to Rome and pick up a win. Um, even though Ireland haven't been at their best, I just can't see them losing in Rome. I, I, just, I, I if it, if Ireland lose in Rome, then I, there'll be mass sackings, I think, in the Irish ranks um, because I just can't see Ireland losing that one. Wales against England's interesting because it's it's back at the. You know, I was going to say Cardiff Farms Park. The it's back at the Millennium Stadium. Uh, it has a real feel of an old school Wales England game. It's definitely the game of the weekend. Wales obviously have have had uh, two wins in their first few in their first two games. I never saw that coming. They had two, in both their games they had red cards that were beneficial to them getting the win. I think Ireland would have ultimately beat Wales if the red card hadn't have happened. I think ultimately Scotland would have beat Wales if the red card there hadn't have happened. So they've, had, they've been lucky um, in regards to refereeing um, over the last couple of games in the Six Nations. But coming up against England, England haven't haven't had the best of starts either. They obviously lost to Scotland in a game that Scotland were by far the superior team. They played Wales at Twickenham. Uh, they played Ireland at Twickenham. Uh, they played Italy at Twickenham the next week. Um, and even though they won convincingly, they, they didn't have a best of performances there either. So Wales, I don't think it'll be as quality as a game as, as in the past, but obviously you can't ever say that Wales against England won't be interesting. And I'll definitely be watching uh, from Cardiff this weekend um, to see what happens. I, I think England would have been favourites coming into this tournament for this game, but because of the start Wales have had and the confidence that's given, Wales aren't out of this yet. So it'll definitely be a, a decent old-style Wales-England encounter in Cardiff. So that's the Six Nations this weekend. No Scotland game. <laughs> a bit disappointing, but there you go. But there um, you have the World Cup draw, though. We had the World oh, Cup yeah, pictures yeah, released. Yeah, yeah. I, so even though we don't have a, a, a Six Nations game, it was quite exciting because, uh, you know, myself and Michael were waiting for the, the fixtures to be announced for the Rugby World Cup in 2023 in, um, in France. Um, so you know the way they announced it was quite strange and I was writing down an old school piece of paper trying to figure out what was going on Scotland start against South Africa on the 10th of September in Marseille against the world champions South Africa so that game it's a bit disappointing it's against the, the world champions because you'd hope maybe Scotland would have played someone to get the ball rolling to get the victory under their belt um, but they come out against Marseille in, in Marseille against South Africa that'll be a very difficult start to the World Cup for Scotland um, but then the next two weeks we move on to the teams who haven't qualified yet we move on to the 24th of September we play the Asia Pacific qualifier in Nice and then the next weekend on the 30th of September, we play the European qualifier in Lille. So those two games you'd expect Scotland to get on off the board and get wins under their belt. So yeah, we might lose to South Africa. I think we'll beat the two qualifying nations from Asia or Europe 
uh, and Europe, sorry, in the next two games. And then the big one, which will, you know, the top two from each group qualify. So I think South Africa will finish top of this group. But the interesting one will be who finishes second. And the big one will happen on the 7th of October in Paris, Ireland against Scotland uh, at the Stade de France. And that game will most likely determine which team goes through a second place in the group. Um, What a massive game to end the pool stages. Like I said, 7th of October, Ireland, Scotland and Paris. I can't wait. And and this is when you want the fans back in, Matthew. Um, you know when when you when you see about football and all the other, uh, the European Championships, but also you've got the Rugby World Cup this year as well. Um, but hopefully, hopefully we'll we'll be allowed even of the lock uh, the lockdown here very soon, and uh, fans will uh, well, fans the, the, will get in. Yeah, it's it's. 2023, so we've got a couple years. Oh, right. okay. Um, yeah. <laughs> so we've got oh. a couple. Strange enough, you what you said was strange enough what my eldest daughter said when I told her about this because she said the same thing. She was like, oh, what about COVID? If we're still in lockdown in 2023 and we're not in games, I give up. Okay, good. Okay, just ignore for a sec there. Um, and, and stuff but you're that. right, though. But you're right. That you're exactly right, though. These, th- I'm glad this World Cup is coming up then because hopefully we will have full stadiums by then, and we'll remember exactly um, what sport used to be like when it's played on the big level. So that's why I'm looking forward to it. So you're right in that regard. It'll be fun having fans back. Hopefully, it'll be full houses by then. And um, yeah, game on. Do you remember people saying eat humble pie? <laughs> well, I've never eaten it yet, so that's what I'm doing now. <laughs> um, it's nice and cold, but there you go. <clears throat> um, yeah, so, so that's the rugby and a bit of um, a bit of other rugby news this week, Matthew. Um, I think they told you a few weeks ago on on the show about the championship and the challenge cup has been uh, re uh, reissued by. Um, the, the date the rugby score is start back in April, uh, the round of 16 and the final of the final pool games will be in January of, um, sorry, the the games were, were meant to be played in January this year, they were cancelled, but uh, obviously the round of 16 and the final round of pool games that is coming back as well, so that's to see for the yeah, championship. Well, do you know what? It's it's a really good state. I mean, obviously Edinburgh are still in that, so they're Edinburgh are still competing in the in the Champions Cup. So they're in there along with you know some of the big guns of Europe. So they could be up against you know Racing ninety two, Leinster, Wasps, Bordeaux, Munster. All those teams will have home advantage, and Edinburgh could get any one of those teams. It's going to be a tough ask for Edinburgh because Edinburgh haven't had the best of seasons so far. We discussed this, I think, last week. You know, they've, they've had problems because obviously COVID has affected the amount of players that they can get in squad wise. A lot of Edinburgh's team also goes up to the international level, so the squad hasn't been as big as it normally would be, and they're expected to compete against the big guns, obviously in the Pro 14, but in, in Europe too. So, whoever they get, it'll be a tough ask for Edinburgh. Um, and sadly, it probably will mean that they'll have to go out of the tournament. But it's exciting that they're still in there, and let's hope they get a decent draw. Glasgow, they're still in the Challenge Cup, so they're still in there. Um, they're alongside such teams as you know Cardiff, Newcastle. Ulster, Northampton, Bath. So they've got a slightly easier task 
um, to possibly get to the to get to the final finals of these competitions. But again, it'll be difficult. But at least the, the Scottish sides are still in there, you know. And good luck to Edinburgh uh, and Glasgow when when we finally get the draw and when we finally can move on and hopefully get through to the next qualifiers. But there are games this weekend as well in the Pro 14. You know, Edinburgh they play at Murrayfield on Saturday tomorrow at twelve o'clock against the Scarlets. A must win. Um, I mean, I always say about there's there's no there's no I always forget that there's no playoffs um in the Pro 14 this year. But the top three, you have to finish in the top three to guarantee Champions Cup, the Champions League, uh, rugby next year. So you know Edinburgh, Edinburgh still, and Edinburgh and Glasgow both sides. Edinburgh will have to beat Scarlets this weekend if there's any chance of finishing in the top three. Glasgow go to Leinster, tough ask. I think Glasgow may struggle to get anywhere near the top. Um, at their pool this year, sadly. But Edinburgh still have a chance, but they've got to beat Scarlets uh, this weekend at Murrayfield to have any chance of the top three uh, and ultimately getting into the Champions Cup for next year. Um, it'll be a tough ask, but Edinburgh could still do it. But yeah, they need a win. Um, just quickly, Matthew, before we finish off, the, the news about um, that the news about tennis this weekend um obviously Andy Murray is coming, making a comeback on, on different tournaments and all that. But it was just news coming out this morning, Matthew, I don't know if you saw this, that um, I think it's Jamie Murray, it's uh, running the, the whole, or, well, not running, but organising the, the whole tournament. And apparently um, Andy Murray and Jamie Murray, oh, that'll be good, um, they will play in doubles together. And uh, they will play against uh, number one, well, British number one at the moment, Dan Evans. And the tournament will be held in Aberdeen uh, between the 21st and the 22nd of December. So it's got a long way off, but it's good to see a, a tournament like, like that uh, coming to Scotland. Well, definitely. And, you know, we've, we've seen this this year that we'll, we'll have you know, Scotland have beaten England at Twickenham. Scotland are playing England in the Euro Championships, hopefully uh, at Wembley in <laughs> June. And now we have Scotland against England in the tennis in December. So, you know, fingers crossed that Scotland can beat England at Wembley and uh, obviously Andy and Jamie Murray can win as well. So we could have a Scottish Grand Slam in every sport against the English this year. So um, it is quite exciting. And ho- obviously by then, you know, I know it's, it's up in Aberdeen, did you say? Yeah. Um, hopefully we will have fans back in the stadium for then, definitely. I mean, I think, you know, there's rumours that the Euro Championship, the Euro 2000 and whatever it is, Euro 2020, <laughs> could still have fans in the in the stadium for June time at Wembley, we could be looking at crowds of ten to 20,000 20, maybe at Wembley uh, for these games. July time in England, anyway, we could be looking in July. We could be looking at full crowds. So by the time this tournament comes around, you'd hope it'll be played in front of a packed uh, arena in Aberdeen, and hopefully, you know, Andy and Jamie Murray can make their mark on this exciting tournament. Mm, yeah, no, here yeah. and then we can get a hat trick against England. That'd be nice. Yeah, and I can wear my kilt again like you brought it up. I'll wear my kilt for you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, that will be... Um, I'd, yeah. Um, so, <laughs> uh, um, so thanks for listening to a busy, busy show as always. Um, and we'll be back next week. And keep it here on Indie Live Radio.